We are uh, continuing on our journey, and I don't know if you see the banner outside on the corner. It reflects the journey that we're taking in the Scriptures in the book of Luke to, to Jerusalem. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 11. We'll be looking at the first 13 verses in this book. And um, looking at Christ's journey to Jerusalem, in chapter 9, verse 51 of Luke, he says he set his face, resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. I mean, he had a task, he had a a goal, an end um, to his ministry that he was aiming for, but there's a lot of uh, meandering, as I say, between Jerusalem and where he was in Galilee. So we're going to continue on that journey with him, find out what he taught his disciples I figure that he wants to leave them with the most important things so that when he's gone, when he's finished his ministry, uh, they'll be able to carry on and know the right kinds of things. Uh, let me ask you, parents, how many here are parents? Okay, that's it, most of you. Um, how were you at communicating with your kids? Did you have those times where they would, maybe you're a bit tired, maybe you're already in bed, and the uh, door opens and your kid comes in and just sort of flops in your bed and wants to talk. You know what I mean? You ever have those flop on the bed and want to talk times? <laughs> You're kind of thinking, I want my sleep, but it's important to talk to my kid. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I cherish those times. I have uh, three kids and two of them are already um, married and out and they're building their own homes, but we still have one at home. And uh, dads, I don't know, are you good at communicating with your kids? Challenge. I hear that laughter. <laughs> so when my, my son comes in, he's working as a nurse now and, um, in Abbotsford. And I say, How, how'd it go? He comes home with a, from a 12-hour shift. How'd it go? Oh, it was okay. And he goes and gets a bowl of cereal. And, uh, and then my wife comes out and says, hey, how'd it go? He says, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened today. It's like, was this happened and this happened. And I was like, they're going like this. And I just sort of, I just sit there and listen in. You know, I like to have that, that in-depth conversation um, like my wife sins, tends to spontaneously have with my youngest, but I can tell you she has invested hours and hours and hours and hours in getting to that place with him where he will just share, and he's also, like, he usually walks in and on his phone talking to his granny, who was also a nurse, and so they're talking about the shift and the people and the crazy things and the doctors and whatever, and but I, you know, I want I I want that kind of openness too with with him, and we do have conversations. But you know, it just the the difference between how much time Kim has invested in that relationship it pays off in the end. And we're talking today about investing in a relationship that's probably you know a thousand times more important in our life as Christians. And and the uh, the lesson we're looking at today is uh, centered around the Lord's Prayer. So as we read the scriptures, keep in mind that Jesus is answering a question from his disciples who observed him praying quite often, and they didn't know how to pray. I guess they didn't know how to talk to God. All they saw was the Pharisees who liked to have attention. They're standing on the street corners and making a big deal, drawing attention to themselves, crying out in prayer. Um, And Jesus would go off into a secret place or a quiet place and pray to his Father. Like There's very different approaches to God. So Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says Jesus once was praying in a certain place. And as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, 
teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't lead us into temptation. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, and you say to him, "Uh, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I've got nothing for him to eat. Suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you want because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Your fathers, or you fathers, if your children ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake? If they ask you for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let me pray. Father God, this is your word. You had Luke write it down for us so that we would know what's on your heart so that you could teach us too the same way you taught your disciples. Guide us, Father, into your presence, into your knowledge, into your wisdom so that we may experience today what you want us to see and hear and feel. And may we leave this place transformed from being in your presence. Thanks, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and when it says a certain place, it usually refers to something or somewhere specific that everyone who um, knew the, the situation would have identified. So likely, because we just talked about him being in Bethany with Martha and Mary, likely he was in Gethsemane in, on the Mount of Olives. Uh, I've been there. They got some ancient olive trees there. Not as old as Jesus would have been there 2,000 years ago, but, you know, five, six, seven hundred year old olive trees. And you can kind of imagine this place, uh, looking over towards the city of Jerusalem. You can see the walls and the, the Temple Mount and all of that while you're in this area. And it says he was uh, praying in a certain place. So um, Luke, actually, more than the other four, uh, three gospel writers, talks a lot more about Jesus' prayer life. He, he also um, he talks about Jesus praying uh, at his baptism, uh, regularly uh, withdrawing to pray, an extended prayer time on the Mount of Transfiguration, praying all night long, praying before he chose his disciples. And he also points out the, the disciples' uh, lack of attention to prayer. In other words, they didn't do a whole lot of praying. They did a whole lot of activity, but it wasn't preceded by prayer, which is different. Christ preceded everything he did with prayer, so he knew what to do. I think that's why the disciples got into trouble more often. So I was thinking as I was preparing this message, why do we call it prayer? Why does it say we pray? Like what, if this is you know, a conversation with God, 
why don't we just call it conversation or chat? You know, you have a chat with your husband or your wife, you chat with your neighbor, with the policeman when he pulls you over accidentally. You, you have conversations. Why do we not just, why do we call it prayer when we talk to God? And I wondered, I said, let's, it, it, it's got to be more to it than just a conversation with God. And I started thinking through this idea. You know, when we say, let's bow our heads in prayer or close your eyes to pray. I know it's important to remove all the distractions so you're not bothered or when you're trying to focus on God, you don't want to be noticing everything else around. But the word prayer itself comes from Latin, which means precari, meaning to beg or to plead for something. But I don't see Jesus begging and pleading with his heavenly Father. I see him going off, praying all night long for this, praying in the evening, praying in the morning, praying during the day. He's not really begging and pleading with his heavenly Father, except, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his crucifixion, is like, you know, God, this one's pretty tough. If there's any way of letting this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. I, that's about the closest I can figure Jesus I don't know if I call it begging, pleading, uh, coming before God with a really tough situation. So I started thinking, why don't we just call it having, you know, let's, let's bow our heads for a conversation with God. And, I, and it struck me that when we pray, there's something else going on. There's more to it. It's more all-encompassing when we come before God. It's not like talking to our pet or our child or our dentist or our friend. It involves our whole being, our body, our soul, and our spirit. In prayer, all of us connects to God. We are spiritually dialed in at every level when we pray. It's not just a passing conversation when we come before God. We are, in a sense, completely exposed Nothing is hidden in our thoughts or buried too deep in our heart for God to get at. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So when Jesus prayed that, and he said he was one with the Father, what he was saying, and from what I can gather, is that Every part of Jesus, body, soul, and spirit, was in union with his Father at that moment. He was one in mind and heart and purpose and values. Everything about God was uh, speaking to Jesus. John 10, 30, he says, I and the Father are one. John 17, 21, I pray that they, my disciples, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I can't think of any other way to be one with God and Christ except through prayer. So when he was saying, may they be one, may they be in us as we are in each other kind of thing, what he's saying is when we come to pray, every aspect of who we are as a creature, created being in God's image our body, our soul, and our spirit begin to connect with God the Father through the Son who's in us, through the Spirit who's guiding us. Us and the Trinity meet together in that moment. We are one with God. Once Jesus was in a certain place, like the Mount of Olives, and he was noted for praying early in the morning, late in the day, 
before major decisions. He even prayed just praising his father after a successful mission. Then after he finished praying, one of his disciples says, Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples how to pray. Why don't you teach us? So by the disciples requesting Jesus to pray, uh, teach them to pray, it shows that Jesus practiced what he taught, and he taught what he practiced. So Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer is an abbreviated form of what Matthew has. There's, um, let's compare the two. You can see that Matthew's, um, one more slide. There we go. Matthew's version includes something about God's will to be done in heaven as it is on earth, and uh, delivering us from evil. Uh, but neither one of them, as you can see, say, for thine is the glory, the power of the kingdom, forever and ever, amen. They don't have that in there. We've kind of added that as well. It's kind of cool. We can add that. But I'm going to speak more about uh, Luke's version than I am about Matthew. So if you want the entire prayer, you can look in Matthew chapter 6. So he starts off with our Father. Uh, and as you probably know, you've probably heard a hundred times, that word father is Abba. It's one of those words that a baby can say because it's simple. It's easy. It's like Papa, Abba. And it's an intimate, it's an intimate term for father, but it's not just a father. It's my father or our father. It's a more personal version of the word father. And it was unique to Jesus because it was expressing a unique relationship with God, it would have been a revelation to his disciples. Referring to God as my father was completely unprecedented in the Palestinian Judaism. No one would have addressed God as my father or Abba. Um, They would have a more distance. In fact, you couldn't say his name because it was too holy. There would be a distance between us and God in Judaism. There was a separation of the holy and then the, the, the natural, the common. But Jesus uh, brought it together, saying, no, there isn't. He's your father in heaven. You've got a father on earth. Well, you've got one in heaven, too. And he's inviting his disciples to follow him and enter into their own unique relationship with God as their father. It's well known that children reflect the nature, the priorities, the values of their father. Many ways, as a youth pastor, when I was... uh, I did that for uh, some 15 years. I could pretty well tell uh, who uh, the kids belonged to in, in the church, who their parents or their family was, by how they behaved, by the phrases that they would use, by their sense of humor, because they reflected their father and their mother and the home in which they grew up in. Seeing God as our father means we should endeavor to look like him talk like him and think like him and have the same priorities. When we come to him as our father, what we do and what we say, how we behave, should reflect our father in heaven. It says, may your name be sanctified or holy or hallowed or honored or revered. It's a call for a display of God's holiness, to ask that God would reveal his holiness to a watching world. God's people had over and over and over again brought shame upon God's name. When they uh, allowed foreign idols, idolatry, idolatrous worship, pagan practices into their midst and started going up to these hills and worshiping at the Astra poles and, and, and Baal of the, the foreign gods brought them in, they dishonored his name. 
They made it common. They made it of no account. They, they changed over to idolatry and pagan worship practices. So when we want God's name to be holy or see it as holy, it means that we are willing to do personally what it takes to bring honor and glory to God's name through our own life. Don't say that if you're living a life that brings shame and reproach to God. Ezekiel chapter 36, he, God, he says, therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back. This is, they were in exile, but not because you deserve it. I'm doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. And I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. So how we approach God and how we treat his name will set the tone for our prayer and guide the kind of requests that we make. When we come before God praying, starting off with my Father, holy is your name. You can almost start to think, no, what have I done to bring honor to God this week? What have I done in my life that directed people to his greatness, his majesty? Will my request honor his name? Will my uh, prayers uh, glorify him or will they glorify me if he answers them? And he says, may your kingdom come. This is the kingdom that the Messiah is going to be setting up through his people. Jesus is teaching them to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And he, what is, he's getting at is that his God's kingdom, or the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God, the rule and the reign of Christ, through the lives of his people, is super important. So we're, we're starting off with a whole lot of focus on God, his kingdom, who he is, his character, his nature. And then it gets to us, our needs, the daily bread. Several times Jesus uses this bread as a metaphor. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, he broke bread, says, take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. He uses bread as kind of the sustenance, the very basic thing. Everybody needs bread this, in this day. If you didn't have bread, you didn't have anything. It all starts with bread, even the prayer example he gives later on. You know, if you need three loaves of bread because you've got a company, that's well, because that's what you gave company. It was like the essential parts of life. Give us this daily bread, reminiscent of the manna in the wilderness, daily. Every day the manna would be there in the morning. When the dew uh, evaporated away, there was left the manna. They could pick it up every day. It was a, don't worry about tomorrow. Just give us the daily stuff each day. Make sure we've got enough. And he's willing to do that. And it talks about forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. And there's two different words in the Matthew version. Uh, it's called forgive us our debts. Um, I like how one person, see if I can remember how it goes, and uh, no, I won't say that. It's kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> forgive us our debts is the Matthew version, and that's a different Greek word than forgive us our sins, which is a, a different Greek word. So 
They're similar. Forgive us what we owe others, what we have done uh, that we need to make up for, um, that we need to ask for forgiveness for. Uh, and in the, the Luke version, it is our sins, like the, the one in, 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 in Matthew is, I think, directed more to people, what we've done against others. Forgive us our sins would be directed more to God. Forgive us, God, of what I've done to bring offense to you, how I've messed up this week. Matthew uh, has lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from ev- the evil one. And he adds, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Luke doesn't have that. He just asks for forgiveness of sins. And I think what Matthew is getting at is that uh, once we've been forgiven, it allows us to forgive others. It, it gives us uh, an example of how to treat others. Once we are, we're cleansed, we're, we're good to go in God's sight, we've confessed, repented, and are forgiven. We've confessed, repented, and are forgiven. We can move on, and we can make other relationships right in his sight. Old Testament times, uh, in, in Jesus' day, it was an accepted practice to res- recite the Shema. You all know what the Shema is? It comes out of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 5. Lord our God is one God, and so on. They would recite that three, uh, morning and night. That was their practice. Every good Jewish person would recite, recite the Shema. In fact, you could write it out, and you've seen those little... Um, those little metal or wooden things that people put on the sides of their doors, the Jewish people, what are they called? Phylacteries or something like that. And um, I've got a couple of them. I still haven't put it up yet. But they would write out the Shema, a tiny little letters, roll it up and put it inside this and then attach it to the door frame. And when they'd walk in, they'd, if you watch the, uh, the Chosen movie, you see them kissing it as they walk in. It's, just, it's the scripture. I want this house to be... But they would put the Shema in there most, most of the time. Well, when the Lord's Prayer came and Christians began um, blossoming and, and, and growing, they replaced reciting the Shema with reciting the Lord's Prayer. And so the Lord's Prayer became the model prayer. It's not a magic prayer. It's a model prayer. In other words, pray like this, not pray this. Or not pray these words, but pray after this manner. So you can expand it. You can take the, the different sections of the Lord's Prayer and expand it to, to fit your life, your situation, when it comes time to asking or um, bring before God your needs. You know, just replace the bread with a steak. Or no, with a, replace it with a job or, or, or repair for your car or keeping your kids moving in the right direction. There's lots of things you can put in those different sections. But notice... It starts off with your name, your kingdom, and your will. And then it moves on to give us, forgive us, and lead us, and deliver us. Prayer starts with the recognition of who God is and how powerful he is. It's an opportunity to just be in his presence. And this isn't a begging time. This is a, you know, God, you're an amazing God. Your name is holy. May it be holy in my life. May I never... See an occasion where I take your name and use it in a way that is demeaning or degrading. It's not a magic prayer. It just reminds us of our dependence on God. It's a refocusing prayer. It's a centering prayer. You can start off your prayers with this, 
Lord's Prayer and then move into other kinds of prayers if you like. But it's a, it's a reminder of who's boss. We're here because God loves us and has a plan for our life. You can pray this prayer, and uh, if you think that you are regularly blessed because you pray this prayer, it's not the prayer doing it, it's the God that you're coming before that's doing it. Some people think that the name of Jesus is magic. Just say the name of Jesus. No, it's not the name of Jesus, it's Jesus himself. It's not the prayer he said to pray, it's the one who told you to pray that's going to come in and make a difference in your life. You are calling on the name of Jesus, well, he shows up. He's there. And then he moves into this other section. He says, uh, he's going to teach him a little bit more. Verse 5, suppose you went to your friend's house looking for bread. Uh, even though it's very annoying, he's already gone to bed. You keep knocking, he's going to open the door eventually because you're annoying him. And so he will come and give you what you need. Whatever you want, just take it and leave me alone. And he moves on to say, keep asking, you will receive. Keep knocking, the door will be open. Keep seeking and you're going to find. And then he talks to the fathers because we have a heavenly father. He says, dads, you know, if your kid comes to you and asks for something to eat, are you going to give him something dangerous? He says, no. Just think, I mean, how much more your heavenly father loves you. He's got all these gifts waiting for you. You noticed he starts with a friend, he moves to a father, and then he talks about a father in heaven. You've got bread, you've got fish and egg, and then you've got the best gift of all. He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit can give you everything else you need, right? You get the big gift, everything else can follow afterwards. When I used to travel a lot, uh, I would bring home, I would try to bring home, or try to remember to bring home little gifts for my kids, and oftentimes when I was speaking overseas, I, had, I mean, there was zero time for shopping or going into markets, and so I grabbed something at the airport, and uh, something simple like these little wine gums, I kind of liked them, so I would pick up, you know, three of these and, and give them to each of my kids when they came. I don't even know if they like them, actually. <laughs> In fact, I think Kim one time told me, you know, you don't have to bring things home all the time. Maybe they were just, you know, thanks, Dad, <laughs> throw them in the garbage. Well, why did I bring home little wine gums for my kids? Well, because, uh, you know, when my dad came home from a trip, uh, he brought home uh, little Chuckles candies. Uh, and I can't find those anywhere. And, and the only reason I, you know, the closest thing I think I could find to Chuckles was the wine gums, little soft, chewy things. Uh, you know, it was, uh, basically I was following after what my dad did. I could have brought candy bars or chocolates or peanuts or anything, but somehow it, it kind of felt like to me to be, come home from a, a trip. I just have to do what my dad for me. We were poor growing up. We didn't get a lot of stuff. And so when he brought anything home and gave it to us as a gift, it was like, it's a happy day, you know, something special. My kids uh, didn't quite react the same way. I don't know what the deal was with that. But knowing that your heavenly Father who loves you deeply has amazing gifts ready to give you, wouldn't it be a joy to just come before him? And your soul, your body, your spirit all together in communion with, with God himself, realizing he's got amazing gifts to give you, to, to bless you with, uh, and, and, and yet we spend so little time 
with him. We don't, we don't bother to hang out with God. You know, he's already planned to give you things, to bless you. He's always wanting to chat with us about what we're facing, what his plans are for us, what we'll be dealing with in the days ahead, and so on. So why is prayer so infrequent in our lives? Why do we not want to spend so much more time with God who loves us, realizing that, I mean, we can finally become one with him in our, in our prayer time, letting him be free to see us who we are. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to impress. We just have to be loving back to a loving God. I want to show you a video uh, of, of this was last, last Sunday night. Uh, this is kind of how we ended. We had a, a finished up worship and prayer time from our week of prayer and fasting, and we all gathered here together in the auditorium. For those of you that were here, you know, maybe you're still kind of glowing a little bit from that moment. But here's a little a, sort of a clip of what it looked like. I hope it comes through okay. The reason why Sunday evening last week was so special and very moving for many of the people who came, because believers, together, we are related. We're family. We got the same Father in heaven. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We had a wonderful and meaningful family time, and God blessed us with his presence and with the gift of the Holy Spirit. If anyone didn't sense the presence of God and his pleasure with his kids calling out to him, uh, there's something missing in their life. So if you're not having a regular meeting time with your Heavenly Father, you are seriously missing out on one of the most important aspects of the Christian life. Teach us to pray. It takes practice. It takes, a, it takes effort. It takes going deeper, staying longer, asking God to help you understand what's on his heart and mind for you and your family, your job, your career, your future. It's all a part of that relationship with God. So would you bow your heads? I'm going to close this time in prayer. Practice what I preach. Thank you, God, for this moment of being in your presence again. Thank you for being our Father, a loving Father, a forgiving Father, a powerful Father. Thank you that we can come to you knowing that you have good gifts for us. Thank you that we can be in your presence, to reflect on our week, to see where we have made your name holy and hallowed and honored. Thank you for giving us the gift of your spirit to lead and guide us and empower us. Continue to teach us, Father, how to spend our time in your presence, how to remove the distractions, how to go deeper, how to open up all of those different things we've locked away in our life that you can help clean out, work with, reshape, remold, and put in good order into our life, that we'd be free, free from the past, the guilt, the shame, all those things, God, that tell us that we're not good enough. Thank you, God, for saying that we are good enough. 
that your son came and died for us. Pray in Christ's name, amen.